Welcome to Transform, a podcast highlighting the people and ideas shaping the future of senior living. I'm Tim Regan for Senior Housing News. On today's episode, I spoke with Chris Belford, CEO of Sinceri Senior Living, the Vancouver, Washington-based company formerly known as JEA Senior Living. The change to Sinceri is not just rebranding. It also represents a new direction for the company. And as CEO, Belford says he's expanding the operator's focus beyond memory care. And he aims to rapidly grow the company's footprint to as much as double its current size. There's more opportunity for us to expand our services into those other product lines. And that was really the reason why we thought repositioning ourselves with a new name change, going into different varied product lines made a lot more sense. But before we get to that interview, I wanted to promote our next Build conference happening in Chicago on November 17 and 18. Build is an annual event dedicated to the latest trends in senior living architecture, design, and innovation for owners, operators, and developers. Hear how industry players are redefining senior living development and planting their stakes now to reshape the future. Be sure to visit seniorhousingnews.com events for the latest updates on Build and our other scheduled events. And now, here's my interview with Chris Belford, CEO of Sinceri Senior Living. Chris Belford, thank you for joining me on Transform today. So I wanted to start with some recent news about your company. So you, I'm assuming probably some of our listeners probably know Sinceri better as JEA Senior Living, which is the name that you went by before you changed the name to Sinceri Senior Living in September. So to start with, you know, can you give us an update on the company and also, you know, kind of why you changed the name and what it means for Sinceri? Yeah, happy to. And thanks, Tim, for uh, inviting me to this, to the podcast here. So, you know, basically we are, the reason for the rebranding was basically we're trying to reposition the company. You know, JEA Senior Living has been around for 30 years and the legacy of JEA continues even with Sinceri Senior Living. But while repositioning is intended to just develop to get more in line with other senior housing operators and where we're at with JEA is obviously an acronym for Jerry Irwin and Associates. And back in October of 19, Access Industries purchased JEA Senior Living and Jerry Irwin decided to retire. So it was actually a great opportunity for us to reposition the company, go after, you know, we're, we're actually expanding into different product lines with JEA. And now, and so repositioning and do, having a new name, new logo, uh, new excitement around Sinceri Senior Living is is all makes sense to us, and and you know we're just happy to do it. So that was the, that was the main reason for our name change. You had said that this is aimed at, at repositioning the company. I know that you're moving beyond you know sort of what was your bread and butter, maybe what still is your bread and butter, mm-hmm. which is memory care. Mm-hmm. I know you're getting more into things like assisted living, and I know that we've also talked about how you're into in- independent living now too. So what's the thinking behind that? And can you tell me more about you know how Sinceri plans to move beyond memory care? Yeah, so you're right. JEA Senior Living was mostly known for freestanding memory care units, and they, they, Jerry Irwin and and folks there at JEA Senior Living were certainly very good at it. So it was really, it's still foundational for us. We still have a lot of freestanding memory cares, and it is a product line that we certainly like and enjoy and do very well with. So it's actually created our Meaningful Moments program. And so as we, as when I came on board, we started to think about the future of Sinceri Senior Living, formerly JEA. We started talking about what, 
why not go into other product lines? Why not talk about an assisted living and independent living? And really, there's more opportunity for us to kind of expand our services into those other product lines. And that was really the reason why we thought repositioning ourselves with a new name change, going into different varying product lines made a lot more sense. Plus, my background, as you probably know, is I pretty much dabbled in every every level of care in, in senior housing, which includes SNF through mental health, through independent assisted living, memory care. And so I think access was certainly receptive to going into these, these other product lines. So we see a lot of opportunity in, in the, and obviously independent assisted living and, and expanding into that area. So with the pandemic, obviously, demand has been impacted. Obviously, at the beginning of the pandemic, I think for most providers in the industry, you know, occupancy fell, demand was kind of halted. You know, I think we've read all about this pent up demand. So, you know, we're, we're talking here at the end of October. What is demand like right now? I remember there were some fears that perhaps, you know, this pent up demand might be exhausted by now. So what are you seeing in terms of, of demand? And are you optimistic that it's, it's going to continue into next year? Yeah, I, we continue to see increasing demand. Let's put it that way. I think there was Obviously, there is understandably some apprehension from folks who needed our services and assisted living and memory care to be a little bit apprehensive on congregate living and to stay at home and to, you know, that was the last year during the COVID. I do see the industry starting to obviously has rebounded in Q1 and Q2. Certainly, we see the same trend lines as they do. We've actually done very well at, at JDA or Sinceri Senior Living with uh, demand. We're starting to see that continue to pick up through August and September and October. Certainly, we're starting to see a lot more inquiry, a lot more interest in it. So my view is, is that the apprehension that folks have had is starting to subside a bit. Certainly, we as an industry, and I'm certainly in Sinceri Senior Living, has learned a lot in the pandemic. What, how to protect residents for, and, and to enhance infection control and practices. I mean, there's been a lot of, certainly a lot of good experience in that, but I really do see the industry as a whole kind of turning the corner on the pandemic. And we're, we'll continue to see the demand pick up, in my view, and we haven't seen any evidence where demand is, is going to be subsiding for any, any varying reasons. So I think we're doing a good job as an industry. I think we're doing a great job as a company on keeping COVID out of our communities. You know, flu is going to be certainly something that we're focused on as well. But with the lessons learned from the COVID experience, I think that our in better infection control, I think we could subsidize or, you know, eliminate or not eliminate, but reduce any kind of flu exposure that we typically see in the winter months as well. So earlier in our conversation, you mentioned your memory care programming, Meaningful Moments. Mm -hmm. I know that with the change from JEA to Sinceri and the new direction that you're moving in, I believe I remember talking about how you adapted some of that programming from memory care to your AL and even some of your mm -hmm. IL side. So, so what did you do there? How did you adapt that programming for AL and IL? You know, I guess usually we kind of hear it flowing the other way, you know, mm -hmm. adapting AL, IL programming for memory care. So, so what did you do here? Yeah, obviously, Meaningful Moments was created for a higher acuity resident, a resident with Alzheimer's and dementia. But what we do recognize is that there are a lot of residents that actually live in independent assisted living that are they're beginning to suffer 
from memory loss and beginning to suffer from forms of, of some form of Alzheimer's and dementia. They may be able to function very well, but you know, as as the eighty, we we estimate that probably eighty percent of the population within the communities on the assisted living side probably have some form of cognitive impairment or starting to have some cognitive impairment. So we took what we had as far as meaningful moments, and we really synthesized out some of the more high acuity components of the program to actually enhance the residents in the, and brought them into the assisted living side to really enhance those type of things. And it all revolves around activities and things that are that residents are very passionate about, doing some remembering of you know past lives that they've gone through and, and talking about their family and all those type of things. So we've really taken that program out and put it down. We're also looking at adapting some of the uh, technology that we use for meaningful moments as well into our program in assisted living. A good example of that would be Sagely, which is a, a communication program that we use in our memory care, which is helpful for family members to get in contact with residents. We're starting to adopt that in our assisted living, and we're starting to see some really good usage of that type of technology in our, in our communities as well. I want to talk with you about growth a little bit. I remember I was surprised when we had talked a few weeks ago, you had mentioned that Sinceri plans to double the company in the coming months, or double the company's portfolio in the coming months, which is, you know, that's very fast growth. So I want to check back in. So how is that growth coming along? And update us, you know, how on, on the pace of all of that and when you expect to do that. Yeah, so we, we just did a, a management deal with Ventos for our Laureate, the Laureate portfolio, which is a Wisconsin aid portfolio in Wisconsin. So we, we assume those buildings back in, in the beginning of October, which is great. We have a number of other portfolios that we're working through, through various equity partners as well. That's going to occur November, December is what our, what our expectation transition date is. And, you know, as anybody knows, you know, transitions are not easy. But what we see is a lot of good opportunity for Sincere Senior Living to enhance and create the value in those communities as we go forward. So we will, the transition's going well. The team is working extremely hard. I could not be more proud of the Sincere team and what they've been able to do. It's just, you know, all hands on deck as we go through and, and start to transition portfolios. And so we'll have, you know, press releases for November and December as those portfolios begin to transition over to us, certainly. But it, we're excited about it. We're excited to have to grow our family and we're excited to take care of more residents in new areas and new geography new geography in the united states so it's it's all very exciting for us chris i don't want to put you on the spot but as you were talking i was thinking you mentioned that that fast of growth it's not easy what what are the hardest parts about growing that fast you know what are some of the big challenges and and how do you solve for those yeah so you know we knew we were going to grow at the beginning of the year, we knew. So one of the first things that I did at, as CEO was to expand our, our corporate overhead. I, I really grew it beyond what is normal for a, for a company of the size we were in January and February. So I brought in talent acquisition was the key element in, for our expansion. And that's what I was, I was able to do. I was able to grow our team that have both experience in not only freestanding memory care, but also the other product lines that we had just talked about, assisted living memory care. So preparing the groundwork at the beginning when I first started is helping us transition those buildings as we go. And then obviously for, with talent acquisition, it's it's key to 
keep those people in mind that take a look at our current systems. Let's improve those systems as if we were at, you know, say 100 units or 100 communities or we are at 80 communities and, and started improving those. So we did a lot of groundwork prior to the transition in order to kind of get us to where we're at today. So that's that's the only way that I can think of on this fast growth that we were, were able to succeed in that. Once the ship is sailed, you can't build the sail ship. The ship has got to be built before you sail the ship. So that's kind of how the analogy goes. It's funny you use that analogy, given how often I also hear the analogy of building the car while we're driving it or <laughs> building the plane while we're flying it. That's but, right. But what you said makes a lot of sense. So you talked about how you spent a lot of time you know, in, in different parts of the industry. I know that you're a former REIT guy. I know that you spent time with American mm-hmm. healthcare investors. I'm curious, does that, do you think that gives you a, a unique perspective of the senior living industry right now? And I want you to play along with me. If you were still with a REIT, what moves would you be would you be making right now at this point in the industry? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, before I went to the REIT, I would say that I know everything I need to know. Going into the REIT, I've discovered that I didn't know anything I should have known. So the REIT experience was pretty valuable for me where the language is a little different from a REIT to an operator. The needs are, the services that they need uh, as far as REIT goes is understandable and it's fairly complex. So, you know, they're doing just what any other investor would do. You know, they're trying to create value with the assets they have. They have demands on paying dividends if they're a dividend fund. And they also have, you know, they so what they need is valuable operators. They need operators that understand the language, understand what their needs are and fulfill in those needs. So coming out of the REIT, in learning all that and learning what a good operator looks like versus, you know, maybe not such a good operator and really understanding the language and their needs really puts me in a kind of, a, in my view, a unique position where I'm able to kind of talk the language, understand what their needs are, and then develop the platform of Sincere Senior Living to meet those needs, to meet those the value creation that they're seeking and and to be able to help communicate, you know, what we can do and what we can do versus that value creation. So it's 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 actually giving me a pretty unique experience. Now going forward, I think the REITs desires are the same. The industry's changing a little bit, right? Where there's it, it, we've been doing this for a couple of years where there's less leasing available uh, where operators don't want to take necessarily triple net leases, for example, unless there's some portions and some desires from the operators not to get stuck with leases that are just not cash flowing and things like that. So I think REITs are starting to change their needs a bit to accommodate what is currently the op- for the operators to succeed in. So I think we're going to start to see that as well. There's been, obviously, uh, COVID has had a big impact on REITs as well. So the value of good operators is really that much more desirable than, you know, just going out, buying an asset, throwing an operator in there and hope that they can create the value. So you're going to, we're probably going to start to see much more activity from the REITs to on the operators to be able to manage them appropriately so that they can fulfill their needs. That's what, that's where I see the REITs and that's okay. It's, you know, I think the more the merrier and the more insight that REITs can provide operators onto what their needs are, I think, and how to, you know, run best practices, I think it's a good thing for the industry. 
I feel like in the last year, I've heard a lot of folks with REITs say that one of the hottest commodities in senior in the senior housing world, as you said, are good operators. And I've heard you know some some REITs talk about how they think that the regional approach is the best approach. So I want to ask you about geography and growth. I know that Sinceri has communities kind of all across the country. When you look at your portfolio, do you you know break it out into subregions? You know, do you like to cluster communities? I guess tell me about how you like to grow and where you like to put your communities in terms of geography. Yeah, we like to. So we're our footprint. You're right. Our footprint is West Coast, Midwest, right, and East Coast. And operators traditionally want to find efficiencies in their operations, right? They're trying to make a margin just like everybody else is. So having one-off buildings, for example, in in Sinceri in Alaska, doesn't really make, develop any efficiencies, right? So what we're trying to do is grow within our footprint. So we got the we got the West Coast, the Midwest, and we got the East Coast where we're trying to grow. And states that we're already in, it's easier for us to transition into. Now, the portfolios that we have under contract, we're growing into new states that we've never been in before. So that's kind of a unique experience. But what Sinceri has been able to do, and what I recognize as well, is that if you're trying to be too efficient as an operator, in other words, you're trying to squeeze margins, typically what you do is you increase your regional sizes. You know, your build, your regionals go from maybe eight buildings to 15 buildings. And you don't really develop a lot of quality there. It's really hard for, you know, one person to really run a, a 15 a community portfolio and do it really well. So what we have forced in, at Sinceri is we've reduced that intentionally and we base it on complexity of the community that they're managing as well as the size of their portfolio. So each regional team is assuming an area and it's based on all those factors, right? The complexity of the community itself, the size of the community, as well as the geographic spread of those communities. And that's probably more operator than the REITs would like, but that's really what we're trying to do is trying to reduce and be be much more efficient in the regional sizes that we have. So we like that, but we do definitely, to your question, I guess uh, we definitely like West Coast, Midwest, and, and fitting within our footprint to build efficiencies. And then those geographic areas that are outside of our current footprint, we can develop a regional size small enough to be able to handle the complexity of that various state that we're not used to working in. Again, I, I hope I don't put you on the spot with this question, but we've written a little bit about these super regionals, the emergence of these providers with just really deep regional focus. What's your take on that on that strategy? I mean, I guess there's there's a strategy for everyone out there, but I guess what what do you make of the emergence of these super regionals? I think it's great. I mean, you know, I worked for when I was at AHI. There was a company, a trilogy, uh, senior living is a trilogy health services, perfect example of a super regional, and I think. Yeah, Randy Buford and Leanne have done a really good job with that company and just focusing on those four states. This is all we're going to do. This is all we're going to focus on. We can certainly go dabble in California, but it's less efficient that way. And, and it's more, it certainly has help. I've also seen, you know, where regionals, uh, super these regions, uh, these companies want to grow regionally, such as Trilogy, but they're unable to just because there's just not enough product line out there to be able to develop those. So then they get kind of stuck, right? And they start to get a little bit desperate and and starting to maybe expand beyond what their original intent is, their blueprint. So I do like the, if, if I was sitting on the REIT side, I do like the super regionals as long as they can 
definitely focus on our assets. I also like bigger operators from a REIT perspective that have enough buildings there to develop their own efficiencies because I know they're going to get just as much attention as their own assets. I know that part of your growth strategy or part of your strategy in general includes some owned communities. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious when when you have an owned communities, is that a community that you've acquired? You know, are you looking for acquisition targets right now? And if you are, you know, what are you seeing out there in the market? Are you still seeing a lot of a lot of good deals like I've been hearing? Yeah, we are. We did some an acquisition in Carolinas. So we're in North and South Carolina now. That was recently as of September. So we got a small acquisition there. We're certainly looking at opportunities where we can buy portfolios is what we're mostly interested in, not basically one-off buildings unless it's complementary to our current regional structure and we see some value opportunity there. So yeah, absolutely. We're, we're certainly wanting to fit within our footprint and we're definitely looking at both you know, some management opportunity, maybe some management joint venture, right? Day joint venture, we're looking at that as well, as well as partnering with and doing some acquisitions as well. So as long as it fits within our footprint and we're, it's a portfolio of a decent size, we're certainly interested in acquisitions. So obviously, you know, with any growing company and especially a company that's growing as fast as Sinceri is, it seems like staffing is is really the big challenge right now. And mm-hmm. I remember when we when we talked about a month ago, you had said to me that you think that there were some things that you were doing on the recruiting side that were successful. So I guess, you know, the first part of this question is, you know, what are you seeing in staffing? Mm-hmm. Um, what's, you know, what's hard right now? But then also, um, can you talk about some of the things that you've done that have helped, you know, move the needle or, or what might be working right now? Yeah, so we actually designated recruiters in various geographic areas that specialize in that. Typically, in in the old world, I should say, probably two years ago, before the staffing crunch came, and it's been coming for a while, but it's typically you give it to the community teams to do their own recruiting with maybe some HR support. What we found is developing you know, areas of recruitment in geographic areas, particularly where we're condensed is, is probably the better idea. So having a sole recruiter that kind of helps get the staff on engaged in the building for interviews, things like that, talking, doing some preliminary interviews, passing the, in, uh, you know, the resume on to the community, making sure that they do that. So that's somewhat helped us as well. And there's a lot of other things that we're, we're working that are in place right now. We've got areas of, we got areas where we're also having like, maybe it's a group of PRN staffing where we've, we're starting to see employees with needing a lot more flexibility in their scheduling. So what it means is, is that they may only want to work four hours a day. They may only want to work two hours a day. So maybe what we do is we hire a pool of PRN staffing to cover those shifts where they, they may be on the work. We also have developed daily pay, where if an employee requests, you know, they get paid at the end of the, their shift, we can do that as well, thanks to our some of our, you know, program or payroll uh, vendors that are able to do that. So we have other programs that we're kind of putting in place to be able to support, you know, the recruitment staff. Because it's, it's a, we, we see it in, in the entire industry sees staffing as a major, major issue. And it is definitely one of those obstacles that we're just going to need to overcome. We're going to need to be the employer of choice, which we think that Sinceri Offer is an employer of choice. But with that, we're also going to need to support our communities going forward on recruitment and and how do we do that. So develop various programs to be able to do that. So those are just some of the things that we're working on. We're working on a number of other issues or a number of other programs uh, right now with our HR team. 
So, you know, I've, I've talked with many, many providers who have said that they've raised wages to attract new workers. They've used overtime to fill gaps. They've used contract labor. And all of this has resulted in, you know, labor expenses that seem elevated, uh, seem pretty high. I have thought whether this is just sort of the new baseline, you know, going forward, that this will sort of just be the what you have to do to staff your communities, at least for the foreseeable future. Do you think that this is a, a baseline? And I guess if it is, you know, in the future, do you think that might translate into higher resident rates or even, you know, just more compressed margins in general? I don't want to say it is. I can't, can't believe it is. I really don't. I mean, you know, I just, you know... <laughs> call it just optimism on my part. But I think that, you know, I'm always I'm with the philosophy that whatever the problem is, no matter how complex uh, the solution is, however nebulous it may seem, there is a solution out there. And I think we work, we have a tendency to work in traditional manners, things that worked in the past and never evolving to new solutions. And I think I really feel that as an industry and, and certainly as JEA is that we need to find the answer to staffing issues and change that norm because it, eventually you're just going to not going to be able to charge residents enough to cover some of the agency usage, the overtime usage, the staffing wage issues. Certainly there's a lot of that, but we just as an industry and then certainly as, as Sinceri as well is that we're focused 100% of our time on making sure that that reality that you just mentioned isn't the new norm, that we were creating a new opportunity for, you know, staff and, and employees that haven't thought about working into the industry. You know, we got the Granger Cobb Institute, for example, that will train leaders, which I'm a proud member of, of that committee, uh, subcommittee to, to with the, the Granger Cobb. I actually work with Granger Cobb, as you may know. So very proud to be a member of that. And again, the solutions for employees is out there. It's, it may be nebulous. It may be difficult to find, but we'll find that solution and better for it for our industry as well. So I want to end our, our discussion today by asking you a little bit about the future. You just mentioned that you don't think that this is going to be the baseline for staffing, at least in terms of expenses. So how long do you anticipate these challenges lasting? I mean, obviously, no one has a crystal ball, but what are you preparing for? You know, I really think we got to get a handle on it sooner than later. So I'm hoping within the next six months, if we deploy best practices, that we can resolve some of the issues. I mean, some of the some of the staffing issues are, staff, you know, you know, potential employees sitting on the sidelines just waiting for maybe the best opportunity. Maybe as an industry, we haven't really sold assisted living and the relationship between resident and, and caregiver enough so that people who are sitting on sidelines waiting for their that opportunity for a position really see the value and the benefit of that relationship between resident employees. I, I tour communities all the time. I talk to caregivers all the time. The reason they come to work every day is not just a paycheck. It is really that resident relationship that they love. And if we as an industry and we as Sincerity Senior Living begin to enhance that and start to demonstrate that and, and are able to communicate that out to those potential employees, I think we've got some really good opportunity to really change the dynamic that we're currently in with this staffing crunch. So I would say, you know, within the next six months, I, I, you know, I could be wrong here and I may be, as I said, overly optimistic, but within the next six months, we should start to see the tides turn a bit where we've got these people that are sitting on the sidelines looking for an opportunity, looking for meaning in their life, looking for 
the flexibility that we we should be able to provide them and really coming to to serve the residents like we would like them to. So I would say six to eight months, you know, hopefully. And if we keep grinding away and keep doing the right things, I'm sure we'll we'll get this turned around. And then my last question today, same question, but for next year, you know, what do you think is on the horizon? And then also this is your chance to tell us what's next for you and what's next for Sinceri next year. Yeah, we'll continue. Well, I'll, I'll hit the last first. We'll continue to grow. We're looking at opportunities. We're more, as we've, I've talked about in the past, you know, we're optimistic, we're, I'm, um, we're looking at opportunities, you know, that are that certainly that we see. So we're opportunistic in our in in what we see in the future. We do continue to see opportunity and growth in our current uh, size and complexity of a, of a of a company and Sincerity's platform. We also see maybe some opportunity in some ancillary businesses that we may want to dabble into. Maybe if we get into pharmacy rehab, we see certainly see uh, home health as an opportunity as well. So starting to look at other varying product lines that serve our communities is a great opportunity for us. And so that's what we'll see in 2022. We continue to write in the middle of writing our 2022 business plan. And all of those things will be emphasized into that. So we'll be certainly looking at that. Obviously, resolving staffing issues and things like that is great. There's a lot of talent from a leadership perspective out there in the industry that's just looking for a home. We certainly welcome those folks to to look at Sinceri and help, you know, just kind of move the needle in the industry. So, you know, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic. You know, the, we always talk about from an investment standpoint as well, the demographic is eventually going to catch up to us. You know, we're going to probably start to see that turn, maybe not in 2022, but 23, 24, where we'll start to see more and more demand for our services. And with the time before that, we have a lot of opportunity to kind of improve our services, provide for our residents and resident family members, and certainly for our employees and team members. So that's where I see our future in the, fu- in the future of the industry. Great. Well, Chris Belford, thanks for coming on Transform. This has been a great discussion today. So I, I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure talking with you. You too, Tim. Thank you very much. That does it for this episode of Transform. I would again like to mention our upcoming build event in Chicago on November 17 and 18. Be sure to visit seniorhousingnews.com slash events for the latest updates on build and our other schedule events. Again, I'm Tim Regan for Senior Housing News. Thanks for listening.